Amen. Thank you, Allie. Good morning, everybody. Um, you've heard the passage. Um, a few months ago, Allie and I were discussing, we have this chart of who's going to do what Sunday, and we saw the second half of Ephesians, and Allie all of a sudden remembered that he was going to be washing his hair this week, so he couldn't do it. <laughs> so, here, so here I am. <clears throat> Thank you for reading it, Rebecca, so eloquently. So there's passages that, for whatever reason, in our lives, we come to an, an great against us, possibly. And I suppose the challenge is, will we hear them? And will we dig in to really hear them? And that's, that's my challenge for me this morning. But, but I want to go back before we get, the, the, the passage is really Ephesians 5 and on, and it's all relationships. Husband, wife, children, parents, slaves, or servants and masters. And they're all the same principles. But before we get to those, sorry, I will try to speak slowly, Irina. <laughs> Just get the highlights. <laughs> before we get to that, I want to start with a verse that Ali covered last week. And this verse sets it all in context. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Do you hear that this morning for you? Because this series we're doing is called Walk This Way, and well, Flip, there's, he's just telling us more to do, giving us more to lay on us. You got to walk this way, you got to do it that way, and now we got to follow God's example as dearly loved children. That is the heart behind behind the whole of God's word, but especially this book that lays out how we do this. And, and we know how this works. If you're blessed, if you're lucky enough, blessed, whatever, to have children, or, or to be a child, you know how this works. You know, I have kids, three kids, and I tell them or ask them to do stuff sometimes. And the response is, I mean, John listens first time every time. But, but even not so much. But I tell them to go do their homework, and they've just been playing and having a good time, and oh, dad. And, but, but I don't tell them to do that because I want to disrupt what they're doing. I don't tell them to do their homework because I want to be a downer. I don't tell them to do a homework, their homework because I'm a control freak, although maybe I am sometimes. I tell them to do their homework because God has given them very different, but unbelievable brains, minds. And I want them to use those minds in whatever way they can to the best they can for their whole lives. So I say, Eva, Lily, John, do your homework. Or I tell them to go to bed. Oh, I want to watch one more program, or I want to do this or do that or feed the chickens. But I don't tell them to go to bed because I'm a killjoy. I don't tell them to go to bed because I want to disrupt the day. I don't tell them to go to bed because I'm an ogre. I, maybe, sometimes. I tell them to go to bed because I know that they get grumpy and frustrated and cranky and when they're tired. And I tell them to go to bed because I know and you know that sleep is a superpower. 
And sleep recharges you and heals you and develops you. Sleep is powerful. So when the sun is still shining, yes, I tell them to go to bed. And then with Eva right now, sometimes I say to her, Eva, go play. You need to practice your guitar 20 minutes every day. Ugh, 20 minutes. But again, I don't tell her because I want to disrupt the amazing thing she's doing. And I don't know if guitar is going to be her thing, but right now I tell her to practice it because I want her to seek what her creative outlet is in the world because she was designed creatively and, and you and I were by an amazing creative God. And we know that. That's why we tell our kids to do things. And we understand that between a parent and a child. So can we apply that logic to the relationship between God and us? Because compared to that, my wisdom and my intelligence, intellect, whatever, is like fractionally greater than Eva's or Lily's. And that's how we need to try to see some of these passages Follow God's example or listen to God or, 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 or follow his commands as dearly loved children. I love my kids and I want them to thrive. I don't want them to just get by. And how much more does God have of that for me? So that's a big part of the context. The next part of the context, and it's not going to come up there, but verse 18 says, don't get drunk on wine. That's an important part of the context. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is really important. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because all, all these directions, good stuff God gives us, you cannot do without the Holy Spirit which he is alive and empowering you. And that's why I love this prayer we get every day from Lectio 365. This is a powerful prayer that you should recite every morning at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Next one, Steve. Father, help Help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help. Help me to give my life away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help. Help me to love the lost, proclaiming Jesus in all I do and say. That's a powerful and a dangerous prayer. But we need it to follow God's example as dearly loved children. So all the rest of this rests on that. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We come across a word we don't like. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We do not like the word 
submit. Put up your hand in your head if you like the word submit. <laughs> no one. We love our rights. We love our freedoms. We want to choose our destiny. We want to choose our identity. We don't want anyone else to tell us what to do. And the reality is we don't even want God to tell us what to do. Um, a guy named Craig Rochelle, a pastor in the States, uh, did a survey, or sorry, spoke about a survey that was done a few years ago with uh, American senior executives. And he asked all these executives, tell me about upcoming emerging leaders, 20-something, or sorry, wor workers in the workforce today. What is one word you would use to describe emerging leaders? And one word stood out above all the rest. And then they went and did the same survey with those 20-something leaders and said, we've just done the survey. And we asked them, what's the one word that would stand out that would, would, would represent you guys? And it starts with an E. And they're like, oh, enthusiastic, extraordinary, you know, uh, exceptional. What are the other words? This is the word that they said, entitled. Come into the workforce, I not only deserve to be here, I deserve your job. <laughs> I'm 21, how dare you tell me what to do? We love the idea of having power, of having authority. We love the idea of being at the top but we hate the idea of doing whatever it takes to work your way up the ladder or even to play a key role in that cog that is this amazing machine called humanity. Entitled. A guy, uh, Aaron Nixon, who actually must be at Kresh, her dad um, was a, a business leader in Ireland, her late father, and he had lots of good things he said to his colleagues and, and his employees. And he said this, or his son Rick said this at his funeral in remembrance of him. And it's a quote that has stood with me ever since. He said this, whenever I'm talking to my colleagues, my friends, my employees, he said, forget about your rights. Forget about your rights and remember your responsibilities we love our rights but we forget that the world moves as we take our responsibilities and this is a Will McKee-ism but it's also a Christ-ism it's not going to come up but in Philippians 2 Paul said in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, his rights, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Responsibilities. Jesus, the one who formed the universe, gave up his rights so he could take his responsibilities. And that's the greatest call we have 
to follow him in what he did. So that's the context of this passage we're going into. We're dearly loved children. And God is calling us to walk this way because the way of Jesus is good. It's beautiful and it's transformational in our world. And so as we sit on that backdrop, on that context, on that foundation, we, we get into this passage. And we're about to hear a set of commands about leadership and submission. And the reality is that each command to submit or obey for a person under authority has an equal and opposite command for sacrificial responsibility for the person in authority. And God calls us, if and as we are in his kingdom, to fulfill both those roles, probably in various parts of our life, submission and sacrifice. And the reality is, the first part of that, submission, would have been just par for the course 2,000 years ago. And yet, it's glaring to us today. But the second part of that course would have been unheard of and yet was revolutionary, um, um, sacrificial leadership 2,000 years ago was unheard of. The Jesus way has always been and will always be revolutionary. And I suppose my prayer is, can we hear the truth and reality and grace of it today? Because we all have pushed back to it. So let's read some of this. Galatians 5, 22 to 30. Actually, I'm just going to read the first three verses. Galatians 5, 22. And get out your, your phones or your Bibles, actually, because not all of it's going to come up here. A few bits are, but some bit, and, and it would be really encourage you to look at it as we go along. So Galatians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Push back, push back, push back. So I, I suppose I want to start by saying... These verses are caught up in so much. And there's always been, but right now we're almost like at the peak of the pushback to verses like this. And it's for good and real reasons. Because over the past, however long humanity's been in existence, (laughs) there has been poor examples of leadership. There's been poor examples, and men and husbands have used verses like this, just the first parts of verses like this, to justify all sorts of um, uh, unacceptable behavior, the dominance of women, unquestioning obedience. You, she's dying as I'm going fast. Unquestioning obedience, 
and all sorts of unChrist-like behavior. We've used it to justify this. It's been used by weak, insecure, um, which all of us are at some times, husbands, to not listen to or take wise, helpful, important guidance and feedback from their wives or their daughters or their employees. And it's been used uh, to force women into a submission that was never called for by Christ. And the reality is there's no excuse for that and we all need to repent of that and we all need to constantly be keeping in mind what Christ called us to and not what we want him to have called us to. Because there's a serious weight on the responsibility of what God calls us to. John Stott said this, The biblical concept of authority spells not tyranny, but responsibility. I love that. The biblical concept of authority spells not tyranny, but responsibility. So before we go into that first bit, I actually want to jump ahead to the second bit to see what leadership, what sacrificial leadership is supposed to look like. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Okay, what does that look like? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A husband's role is supposed to look like sacrificial leadership. It's supposed to cost you everything. It's supposed to look at the other person ahead of you. Look at the other person's needs ahead of you. The other person's desires ahead of yours. And who isn't guilty of not doing that almost all the time? Husbands, that's what we're, that's what we're all called to. But specifically, Jesus is calling husbands into this. He said, follow me just like I led by giving up everything. But we just ignore that, jump over that, and what do we hear? Wives, submit! Submit to me, woman. I know what I'm saying to you is stupid, and I forgot why I'm even saying it, but you better listen. <laughs> oh, man, we have a lot to answer for. Verses 25 to 27 say, Jesus, actually, we don't say it like that. We just think that. <laughs> 25 to 27 says, Jesus gave himself up for the church to make her holy. It's not going to come up there. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And you may think, wait a minute, am I, is a husband supposed to do that? No. You are not going to present your wife to God holy and blameless and radiant. That's what Christ did or can do for you. But we are called to live in the same sacrificial way in which Christ did that. Verse 28 says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, hopefully, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So men, if you are married, and we're actually going to get to everyone else very soon, and these principles apply to all of it, here's the question. And it's a really important question to ask yourself every, I was going to say every week, but every day. What could it look like this week if you were to love your wife by giving yourself up for her? What could that mean for your time? What could it mean for your resources? What could it mean for the division of household responsibilities? What is one way, and we're just at husbands right now, what is one way I could sacrifice, <laughs> could sacrificially, <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem with preaching, you got like an accountability partner that lives with you. No, it's the good thing about preaching. What is one way, one way, let's not get complicated, we're not like advanced as monkeys or anything. What is one way we could sacrificially love our wives this week? And what impact would that have on your home or your kids or your street? There's a question. But here's the catch. It doesn't say, men, if you have a really good, loving, noble, awesome wife, in those moments when she's like flying high, which they do, we all do at moments, in those moments, then love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's when you're sailing with it. That's when you're running with it. No, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her when they're high and when they're low, when they're struggling, when they're annoying you, when they don't see your perspective or your faith or your desires in the way you do. And that's called life. Husbands love your wives as life, as Christ loved the church. What is one way I can sacrifice for my wife this week. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So, full circle right back to the start. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. And maybe the answer is no to this question for you right now. But does that statement not sound a little bit better 
when actually we dig into the rest of the passage. Do so many parts of God's word not sound a little bit better when we actually go into the nuance and the context and don't just grab out the bit we love or the bit we hate to try to prove it or disprove it. And I want to talk about three reasons why I think this um, is tough and why we have pushed back to this in the 21st century especially. Because the question we'll ask is, why can this not shift? Should we not evolve our perspectives on this with the times? Um, and, the, the, and there's all... I can't say everything today. And I would love to have a bigger conversation with anyone about this. Not that I know the answers. All the answers. But... The times we're living in, and, and every time, actually, have serious, as I said, and justifiable baggage around this stuff. Because husbands are not always and have not been great. Because men have arrogantly dominated and abused and undermined and overlooked and patronized women, girls, employees. And that behavior has never been acceptable. They've dominated because we're stronger, statistically, generally. They've dominated because they thought they were wiser, highly questionably. <laughs> because we thought we were smarter, probably absolutely scientifically proven not to be. But we've done it because we're big. And so there's so much baggage around that and it's, it's coming to the fore today. But, two, so that's one. Two, this also doesn't say that any woman should submit to every man. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. And three, Sorry, I already talked about that one in one. But just the reality that the perception has been that we're stronger, we're better, we're smarter because we've always had the floor. And we desperately need to hear the wisdom, hear the truth, hear the guts, hear the care, hear the compassion from 51% and apply and listen from 51% of the population. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3.26, says, So Christ Jesus, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all equal as we stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. But, God, in his wisdom, which, or in his 
desire, which we do not know or do not have, has given us marriage as this amazing picture somehow of Jesus' love and sacrifice for the church and the church's response. And God has called us as male and female as we get married to somehow imperfectly but incredibly reflect this relationship between Jesus Christ and the church because he knows we're dumb and just like he gives us um, communion and bread and wine, he loves to give us these tangible things to remind us of much bigger realities. God loves to give us pictures and in his wisdom, for some reason, he gave the picture that way. And self-denying submission and self-giving sacrifice are integral parts of the good news of Jesus. And the world desperately needs to see both of those in all of us. But there are limits to this. Acts, go quickly through this. Acts 5.29. So Peter and John have just been arrested. They've been out preaching the good news and they're turning Jerusalem upside down and and the religious leaders say to them, stop doing this. Stop telling people about Jesus and stop blaming us for killing him. And they're like, well, they say, who should we, we must obey God rather than human beings. Who should we obey? You or God? We must obey God rather than human beings. And that's a really important thing to remember. That in all, we're going to get to different parts of it, but in all, in all sorts of relationships, we are called by God to submit. Unless it goes against what God has already called us to do. Or if it's, I mean, something clear, like it's going to hurt you or it's going to hurt somebody else. Well, I must submit to God rather than man. We must obey God rather than human beings. And there's so much more we could talk about this, and I don't have all the answers to it. And I know in this century it doesn't sit well with probably all of us at points. And there's nuance and context that I would love us to have conversations about. And, And I would love to have conversations with you as we explore, God, what does this really mean to look like as dearly loved children to follow your way. Because the ultimate reality is that God has given us free, forgiven, righteous, holy life in Jesus Christ. And he's not called us to power or control or fighting for our rights. He's called us to follow Jesus by laying down our lives. He's called us to what he did. Submit and sacrifice. And he was revolutionary in his actions and his deed and changed the world. And he's calling us to be revolutionary, not cultural. And that's a whole lot. And on the back of that, there's two more parts to this. And I just want to briefly read through them, actually, because they 
they pretty much speak for themselves and the principles of this apply to them totally. So I just want to jump into chapter 6 for two parts. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It's not going to be up there, but just listen. I'll just let that one go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction in the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Fathers and mothers, don't exasperate your children, but train them. I just want to say this. I've had a few conversations with people recently um, who are sacrificing many things to take care of aging parents. And I've said the same thing several times. I love what I see because it's such a beautiful example of what it means to honor and obey your parents as they get older, to give up your desires, to give up your time because you love them, but also because they're your parents. And even in obeying, sometimes submitting to what they want as they try to hold on to and maybe are stubborn in holding on to Dignity, freedom as their health is dwindling. It's an amazing, beautiful thing to see people honoring their parents in that. And we need that example and we have that example in this church. And then people like me, parents with kids. I suppose all I'll say is we need to constantly, like that prayer of Lectio, ask God for help. What does it look like to model Christ to them? What does it look like to create good behaviors for them? What does it look like to discipline them well? I desperately need God's help for that, but I also need your help for that. How are you doing that? What's working? Can I talk to you about this? Because I don't know what to do right now, especially when they just arrive and you have absolutely no idea what to do with them. Children, obey your parents. Parents, Don't exasperate your kids and and train them well. God, help us to do that. And then there's one more portion of this, and I just want to tell a story before I I read it. Andy Stanley uh, is a pastor from the States, and he tells a story about working on a work site when he was, I think he was like either the end of high school or the start of university. And he was a laborer on a work site, And I think it was a Friday afternoon or something and the foremen weren't there and they were maybe just cleaning up the site or doing a few last-minute things. And on the work site, there were a couple portaloos, portable toilets. And he said they were disgusting. Like you didn't, you held yourself the whole day because you didn't want to go anywhere near these disgusting toilets. And it was a Friday afternoon and, and they're getting cleaned up and they got to go. And then all of a sudden this guy drives up, this car drives up. And he said this big massive guy gets out of the car and he's whistling away and singing away to himself like the happiest guy on the planet. He goes into the back of his car, grabs this box and starts walking towards the portable toilets whistling away, singing away to himself, and they're going like, what is this guy on? Goes in the toilets, and they're they're watching, and then they keep working, and he's in there for ages. But they can hear him in the toilet, singing away, whistling away. He's even, is he like worship songs or something? Like, da-da-da! I won't sing, that'd be horrible. 
but he's, he was just to- loving it. So finally they went down to check out what's going on. And the guy comes out and he said, as you open the door, it was like a waft of lemon fresh. And they're looking past this guy into these sparkling toilets. And Andy's like, I want to go to the toilet now. I think I might just go to the toilet now. And I might even take my lunch in there and eat it with me. And he was like, beautiful, sparkling, eat off the floor, uh, totally clean. And this guy's saying it, jovial mood. And they're looking at this guy going, and he said, what's going on with you? How are you so happy? He said, you literally have the job on the crappiest job on the planet and yet you are like full of life and he said something to Andy that totally took him off guard he said do you think do you think I'm working for like for my boss do you think I'm just doing this for money he said I'm doing this for the Lord and I know that I am called to do whatever even if it's the worst job on the planet, I'm called to do it for the Lord and I'm going to enjoy it because this is the job he's given me to do. And then the conversation went on and the guy left and Andy said that him and his friend were just like, you know the, one of those moments where you just got to stand there and just go, what, what just happened? Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free, or servant or free is probably a better translation. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Whistling away, singing away in the crappiest job on the planet. Am I going to worship God, worship God in the role he has given me with the task and the people, whatever and whoever he has put around me? Here's a challenge that goes against our northern European ways. Are we going to whistle maybe even when it's appropriate and sing through the day no matter the problem or the boss or the employee or the husband or the wife or the child because this is what God has put in front of me today. Can we do this as if the King of Kings is standing right there watching you fill the atmosphere with joy as you scrub the worst toilet in the Northern Hemisphere? Because the ultimate reality that we need to remember is that God has given, or or if you don't know Him yet, He's offering it, new free, forgiven, 
holy life on the back of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and as dearly loved children he's calling us to walk this way and this way is a life of sacrifice and it's a life of submission and that's what the Bible God's word says over and over again and that's what we see in living color in 3D in in IMAX screen as we look at the life of Jesus our King and our Savior let me pray God, we we just admit that sometimes we read your word and love it because we see and we just resonate with it. And sometimes we read your word and it grates with us. I pray for ears to hear. I pray for hearts to obey. And I pray, God, desperately for the wisdom to know what this looks like for me and for us this week. Because we want to show the world you. I pray this in Jesus' name.